welcome to the Runners of the Bay podcast. This is Mimi. I'm here with Bridget. Hey, Bridget. What's going hey. on? Hey. Not too much. I am uh, not watching the Super Bowl, and neither are you, so that's not going on. <laughs> so I, I'm watching it, Okay. and I'm like a little bit horrified because there are a lot of people there, but then they like... D- they like did this spot where it was like, oh, and we have 21,000 cardboard cutouts. So I'm actually now looking and I'm like, okay, are there as many people there as I think? Or is it like most of those people are cardboard cutouts? And I really hope it's the latter. Yeah. Although I'm not sure, but I was like, oh, it's just a lot of fake people. I don't know. <laughs> CGI people. CGI people. Yeah. So it's funny that they put, I mean, I guess it makes sense. They still want that feeling. It'll be interesting to see what the like halftime show feels like because usually, or at least from my memory in past years, you know, like they let a bunch of people like rush the the field and they kind of make it feel like a concert. And uh, I can't imagine that that's going to happen this year, but. I don't think so. I sort of feel like that. I was thinking about it earlier that like JLo and Shakira should have been made the permanent halftime entertainment. Like, you know how the Golden Globes were like for a while, they were like Ricky Gervais is going to be our host. And then it was like Amy Poehler and Tina Fey. And I just feel like it would be smart of the NFL to just be like all JLo and Shakira all the time, year after year. Yeah. I'm totally down. Although someone in my Strava feed um, said Taylor Swift Super Bowl halftime 2022. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Uh, that would get me to watch. So Taylor I'd Swift be, or. Yeah, she- I'd be into it. I don't know. I'd be into it with some reservations because of like other hangups I have around <laughs> football and what it represents. But yes, I would. I wouldn't look away, yeah. obviously. Yeah. 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 So that's what's happening. It's Super Bowl Sunday. You and I both got in some good long runs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you you ran outside. It was a little it's like warm today. So that was great. Um, I'm gonna do a ever athlete. I'm making so Adam signed up, my partner signed up Ooh. um to do the videos too, because he's trying to be better about strength and stretching. Um and getting on a bed, you know, just building better habits. He has chronic um, Achilles tendonitis. So seeing if like some better habits can prevent another flare up. Um, and so we're going to do like a ever athlete double date or why did I say double date? We're going to do a date, a double. <laughs> there yeah. are typically two instructors. So you will be double dating. With there we go. There we go. Matt and Annalise. <laughs> they just won't know it because yeah. it's a pre-recorded video, but it's a double date. <laughs> It's a double date. Okay. Yeah. There, you saved me. Thank you. It's totally a double date. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. So I'm looking forward to that because my legs are also very tired and could use some uh, some recovery movement after my long run. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you haven't already, make sure you go check out Ever Athlete. You get 50% off. It's an awesome deal. All of the information is in show notes, in the links in our bios takes you right there. You can't go wrong. Um, as you mentioned, I ran outside and it, it is warm out. It's a beautiful day. So not complaining about the warmth in Northern California. And like, I don't know, I've been looking at um, my friends in New York. While it looks beautiful, it also looks cold and not right. ideal running yep. conditions right now. But I was just, I got home and I was like, so, so dehydrated, so thirsty. And I drank a lot on the run, but 
the first thing I reached for was my You Can Hydrate electrolyte drink mix, and I just chugged it. And I think that, you know, I'm, I'm going to feel better. I feel more recovered afterwards. So that was a lifesaver for me today. So make sure to check that out, youcan.co slash discount slash ROTB. Literally, they have a product for everything. Um, so I'm super grateful for that today. Yeah. So this episode was with Abby Atwood, who we could have talked. There's so many things we could have talked to her about and that we can talk to her about and that we still will absolutely have her back on and talk to her about. But just hearing, listening to her own story and her own journey and the evolution of her relationship with running and with competition in general was so enlightening. Um, I was thinking about it a lot today on my run. Um, She was just such a joy to talk to. It was another one of those interviews where you look up and you're an hour in and you're like, wait. I haven't, we haven't like (laughs) talked about all the things we want to talk about yet. Um, But yeah, she was just so wonderful. And I'm I'm so grateful, Bridget, for you bringing her on and making that introduction because it's like, oh, I have a new friend. How exciting. Yeah, Yeah. she's, she's such a, she's such just a a wonderful person and and easy to talk to. Um, You know, she's got that competitive running background. um, And, and as she mentioned in the episode, like comes from a very athletic and competitive family um, and is now a, you know, a health coach, a nutritionist. um, And so like just a total subject matter expert. But what was really fun was getting the chance to really kind of dive into her story, which, you know, weaves in and out of what she's doing now. But we really just wanted to like hear the evolution of how she got to where she is and how, you know, those things influence how she thinks about uh, being a coach and how she thinks about nutrition now. And it was, yeah, it was just such, such a delight, but we'll have her back on, I think, to dig into some of the, the actual coaching stuff. I mean, she does a lot of conversation around, you know, the female athlete triad and, and, and red S and energy deficiency. Um, and it'd be great to, to dig into those, to those topics now that we know her story. Yeah. So enjoy this episode with Abby Atwood. Abby, welcome to the podcast. We are so excited to talk to you. Um, You and I met, I think, in 2019, I think. uh, Bridget, I was just thinking about this. Yeah, I was thinking that we met right... And it, then it was a then corn. It was like pandemic, like two months later. We were like, "Oh, we're gonna have a love story." And then, <laughs> <laughs> yes, we went on like a coffee date. We're gonna run together. <laughs> we went on a coffee date, and honestly, it was like the best date of my life. Where I was like, <laughs> we like time stopped, and we were just like, it was all about us, and we were just like that tingly like conversation where you're just going back and forth, and you're like, this person is like me, but better and interesting, and I want to like talk to them about all this stuff, because they're, I don't, it was like so fun. Um, It was a setup. It was a blind date. (laughs) It was literally a blind date. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But luckily for me, you have like the most epic Instagram, um, and so I've I feel like I like talk to you every day because you're like on Instagram and I'm like, oh yeah, me and Abby, we're just going to like have a conversation with just me listening to Abby. (laughs) I love it. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. So let's kick things off with like a fun question. What are you cooking and eating today? Oh, that is a good question. Okay. Um, 
I'm cooking some muffins um, when we're done with this. I, I like just got a muffin craving. And I'm thinking like chocolate chip, you know, with like a little crumble. You know, you have to have like a crumble on top, yeah. in, if you ask me. Um, and then weirdly enough, I'm making, so I'm taking a few more classes from the program that I was in for my like n- nutrition degree. I'm taking a few more just extra. And one of them is like a cooking class. And they have us cook the randomest things, but we're doing a whole week on like fermentation. So literally this morning I'm making, I have a Mimi's face. I was like, I made sauerkraut and kimchi. Um, so I did that and I made pancakes. So that's my day of cooking so far. Wow. Yeah. I was just thinking like fermentation, like beer. Like, are you for, I don't know. That's or, or like, I know that is. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah like we'll probably get there. Uh, it freaks me out though because I have to buy like like for next week we're doing organ meats, um, which actually funny enough are like the most nutrient dense food out there. I've never had it. I just I don't know if I could get Jeb to eat it, my husband. But we have currently have beef liver and chicken liver in our fridge, so he'll be eating it soon. Nice. My, yeah, nice. My fiance yeah. has been on this like I'm gonna make my own beef chicken jerky kick. Oh. So he almost, he'll like buy pieces of beef and slice it really thin and season it and p- you put it on like really low heat in the oven for like four hours but he'll start it at like eight o'clock at night so he'll be cooking till like 12 <laughs> one o'clock in the morning and last <laughs> night the he forgot to like, that would not the, fly with me yeah he like yeah. forgot to turn the timer off and the timer was like going off all night but it's really good like his jerky is great it doesn't have any of those additional flavorings or like preservatives but it's it's been super impressive I'm like oh whole new side of you I can totally get behind that I would I bring jerky on like bike rides and stuff you know actually I haven't tried it on a run I mean I'm sure I'd be fine my stomach does okay with stuff but I actually love it it's like salty and yeah it's great it is great. I'm surprised that hasn't like taken off more in the pandemic. Like totally jerky, totally. Like, like sourdough yeah, bread. Of course, <laughs> yeah. sourdough bread. Like bread is hard, and sourdough yeah. is like really hard. But like jerky, that's so approachable, and like, and I don't know. More, it just takes so a long time, but it's so easy to make. Right. So yeah. you can just dehydrate the meat. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but okay, so that's on my list now. Thank you, Mimi. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to find out how to make or I'm like very curious what they have you do with the organ meats because as someone who is like chronically iron deficient like oh you, so you know, good everyone's always like yeah eat, eat the livers and we stuff we talked about this a while ago didn't we Bridget the iron yeah. deficiency stuff yeah 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 yes. yeah, yeah no yeah. Super, it's super high end. I mean it's unbelievable like every you know when I back when I was in school it's like every you know we do all this research and every time I was looking at a nutrient and being like what are the top foods like literally liver top of the list for everything um which is kind of crazy i'll document it on instagram bridget you can follow along with my fried chicken livers and onions nice. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. also expensive <laughs> like so if you want inexpensive like protein that's nutrient rich like yeah organ meats man true undervalued let's make it happen i mean if like uh, yeah. if, if like kimchi can happen and brussels sprouts we made them cool Come chicken on. liver can happen it's the next thing it's the next Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) so when you decide what you're going to eat like as a as someone who knows more about nutrition than most people like how much of what you decide is based on like convenience like what you're craving versus like all of your knowledge like what is like the optimized thing for 
you know, that I just did a workout or that I'm going to do a workout or whatever, like activity or life choice you're, you just did or are about to do? That's such a good question. Um, for me, um, and these days I'm not like, I haven't, we can get into this, I'm sure at some point, but I'm not, I wouldn't like call what I I'm doing these days, quote unquote training. Um, so I, I don't feel as deliberate about, uh, my own kind of nutrition and everything in that way. I also am, it's a very personal thing. Like I'm hyper aware of the fact that my kind of, again, something we could get into, I suppose <laughs> so much. Um, I'm, I'm hyper aware for myself. And I think everybody needs to kind of take this into consideration for themselves. Like it's not super mentally healthy for me to think about, to like overthink it. Right. And I think something that I've learned and really transitioned my practice in this direction in the last year is that our bodies are just so smart and we really don't have to overthink things. We don't have to, we don't have to overthink what we're going to eat if we can really tune into what our body's telling us. And I tell my clients, I have clients that struggle with this because if I'm working with someone who's come from like a disordered eating past and they're an athlete, they're like, okay, but I can, how do I, how do I meld these things? Which is like your question, basically, Bridget, like, how do you both eat kind of intuitively and also intentionally? Right. And so I call it like practical eating and intuitive eating, like practical eating is like, I might not be hungry when I get back from a run, but I know I need to eat something right now. I know that my body needs carbohydrate right now. So I'll do that. I'll be purposeful in that way, but I'll let my, I will not tell myself what to eat. I'll like actually just think like what sounds good. And sometimes it's a piece of cake and sometimes it's like a bowl of oats, you know? So I guess that's the best way to answer it. It's, it is super personal. I think you have to know yourself really well and what, you know, what's worth your, like the mental space that you have to kind of think about it. Yeah. I, I mean, that rings so true with me. I've talked about it a lot on this podcast. I don't hide it. Like I, I have a history of an eating disorder and it, you know, it's really, I would say only in the past like five or so years where I even got to the point where, you know, like the, the worst part of it was certainly like over, but I, I couldn't eat normally if that's even a thing. Like I, I didn't mm-hmm. have the ability to sort of say like, oh, I'm getting back from my workout. So the practical side of like, this is what I need to do to fuel my body or like, I wonder if it was like at that point, lack of a control thing for me and more of like a trust thing of my body mm-hmm. to do the right thing. And so you almost have to get to that point where what you said is like your body is so smart and it will recalibrate and it will mm-hmm. find that point that's healthy for you if if you treat it well and if you listen to it and if you... Mm-hmm do the things intentionally that are going to support the activities that you're doing. Um, and so I think, I think that's just something really important to talk about and to, to understand of like, maybe the goal isn't to be perfect in what you're eating. And, you know, if you come back from a hard run and what your body is telling you is that you want a piece of cake, have a piece of cake. If your body's telling you, you want a bowl of oats and some peanut butter, like do that. But it's having that trust in your body to, to, tell you what it needs and to know that it's not going to like freak out depending on what you, you put yeah, in it, I guess. Totally. And to not, and to not, you know, I think we've, we've come to this, this point where so many foods are demonized and 
to actually know, I mean, when you, when you go through enough nutrition science classes and biochem classes, like you realize there's not a massive difference between a piece of cake and some oats with maple syrup and peanut butter. Like there actually isn't like from your body's perspective, it's glucose, you know, Mm -hmm. it's certain types of carbohydrate, like it's quick energy. It's a little bit of protein. Like it doesn't, it's a little bit of fat. Like it's all, you know, and, and, but we look at it as this kind of like my, you know, as athletes, people can get into that. Like my body is a temple. I shall treat it as such. And it's like, no, no, (laughs) chill. (laughs) Like we can, you know, but Mimi, what you said is so true. The trust thing. I like really hung on to that word when you said that, because if you go a really long time, especially with an eating disorder, you're not only do you not trust your body, but your body doesn't trust you at all, at all. Like it doesn't trust that it's going to be fed. It doesn't trust that it's going to be given adequate nutrition. It doesn't trust that it's going to get a balance of all the nutrients out there, right? Because you're probably restricting something um, in particular. And so it takes a while. And, and in a lot of cases, it doesn't always become you know, you don't fully leave that behind in a lot of, in a lot of cases. And you have to, you know, use your, use your kind of brain and your heart to know like, what can, how should I look at nutrition? Like I'm not the same as the person next to me, you know? Yeah. And I think, I mean, it's still something that I struggle with. Like over, over Christmas, I was away and sometimes when I'm away, my only source of exercise is running, but I was having a little bit Mm -hmm. of an injury and I was like, this is dumb. Like I shouldn't push through this and try to run. And yet I was freaking out because then I'm like, well, what, what does that mean for my, for my food and my nutrition? And it's like, okay, you have to sort of sit with that discomfort and be like, this is the hard part. This is that the last, you know, 10 K of the marathon where you have to like, just mentally get yourself through it and know that you've been there before. You're going to come out on the other side it's all going to be okay. If you don't run today or tomorrow and you still eat normally and have those cookies, like your body will be fine. Like literally nothing will happen and nothing did happen. And I think you have to go through that enough so that you can continue to build that trust. So it's like that last hard part of a race of, you know, it's hard, but you also know that you've been there before. Totally. And there's like two things that come up for me when you say that, like one is that, you know, we've, kind of inextricably tied food to our bodies and like we've also idealized like thinness or leanness like in sports culture it's more about being lean right um and to think that that's the way that we have to be or the way that we have to look and it's just not right and so to remember that like your body will do what your body will do genetically like it's it's kind of predetermined and it's okay you know I mean it's more about getting past that like what am I scared of? Like, why am I scared that my body's going to change? What does that mean to me? Like, what have I been taught that that means? And then the other piece is, um, you know, knowing that, yeah, like you said, like it's, it's a lot of the, something that I'd say a lot to a lot to the people that I work with is like originally, and Mimi, I'd be curious if this was the case for you. Like if you look back far enough, that eating disorder or if you're, you know, if anything else that you've struggled, anyone, anyone with some kind of mental health condition or, or some kind of addiction is like, at a, at a certain point, that thing was keeping you safe. At a certain point, that was a coping mechanism you were using that was like a survival tool, right? 
And so to like, when those voices come back to remember that, like, that's just, that's, that's something in your brain from a long time ago, coming back and trying to keep you safe and trying to protect you. And you have to kind of talk to those voices and be like, thank you for being here. Thanks for coming, but I'm okay. And, and I can, you know, I don't need this anymore. You know, I don't know. There's a lot. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I think like, even for me, uh, I'm, I definitely have the personality that would have been predisposed to an eating disorder, certainly like the need for control and some mm-hmm. OCD in there and like all of perfectionism and all of those things. But like, for me, it happened, I remember the summer before my sophomore year and junior year of high school, and I, I lost a ton of weight because I was training really hard for tennis. It was when I actually first started running. Um, mm-hmm. And I was just eating better. Like I wasn't, I wasn't really restricting. I just wasn't eating as horribly as I had, I had been. And so the narrative when I got back to school was, oh, well, she has an eating disorder, even though I, I didn't at that time, quite frankly. And mm-hmm. then I was so afraid of like gaining weight or something happening that I, I developed one. And then that became my identity and it kept me mm-hmm. safe. Right. Mm-hmm. So to your point, it's like, okay, it serves a purpose at some point and you're used to it, but then it's like, it's like an old friend that mm-hmm. is no longer doing anything for you. Um, totally. It's like, yeah. okay, see you later. I don't know if you guys saw the uh, amazing letter that Trump sent to um, the Screen Actors Guild this <laughs> this week, but it was like the final <laughs> sentence was like, you've done nothing for me. And it's like, that's what you have to say to like the, totally. the just our voices is like, you've done nothing for me. Goodbye. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I love it. a good Trump reference, no matter where we go. <laughs> I, I kind of never wanted to bring him up again, but it was just a good line. You've done nothing for me. It's just too good. Yeah. <laughs> so, Abby, you have a background as a competitive runner, um, and it's definitely something that, like, I think has you've talked about how it shapes what you do now, um, and kind of your own navigation through the obstacles that arise with your own competitiveness and uh, injuries and all of the things that we're kind of talking about related to like both the good and the bad um, when it comes to kind of pushing yourself in those ways. Um, But like what initially drew you to running? Did you always like, was that always your sport? Were you kind of a multi-sport person? Like when did running become something that it felt like this is part of my identity? Mm. Uh, late, late in my life, actually. Mm. Um, so I grew up in, I'm from the other coast, I'm from Maine. And I grew up in a family who's very active, um, like very talented athletes. Um, my parents were marathon runners, you know, they kind of ran Boston and in the days of like, Bill Rogers, and you know, that crew was their crew. Um, and they, you know, growing up so I distinctly remember them not being able to run you know when I was pretty young they both kind of had to stop running like in their mid-30s and they started cycling uh and that became their sport both of them just had a lot of injuries and stuff um so I grew up just I mean everything we did was active and everything was about hiking and biking and Nord- we grew up Nordic skiing that was a big sport in my family and um I am a rebel to my core and like, that's just core of who I am. And so I very much rejected all of it. 
like I was like I do not want to run I do not want to cycle with you I do not want to hike I would like to go to the Bahamas can we just chill (laughs) (laughs) um and so instead of like adopting a lot of those sports even though I was kind of forced to do them with my family all the time I went into being more of a like a team sport athlete so I played soccer um I played lacrosse lacrosse became like my sport that's really the thing that I kind of like excelled at and um I Nordic skied, but I stayed away from that stuff just kind of out of my sister was actually a like a child prodigy runner. Um, and I kind of stayed away from it. I think for that reason, I think there was probably a part of me who didn't a want to step on it, B didn't want to risk like, what if I was worse than my little sister? Um, and then I went to college, I had some so I had like an ACL injury late. So I didn't end up playing lacrosse in college, but I went to college. Um, and I promise I'm answering your question. <laughs> um, great. It's great. Um, I went to college and something that had been present in my life and I just didn't really, I never knew how to name it. I didn't have a name for it. Um, but it took me going away and being away to realize what it was, was like, I have very bad anxiety, very bad. And I think that term's thrown around a lot now, but like, I've like, like, you know, true anxiety. And, um, I never knew how to kind of put a finger on it or didn't know what was going on. Even when I was young, you know, I was like four years old. I was that kid that like freaked out if I couldn't find my mom in the grocery store for like a second, you know? Um, and in college I had some, you know, pretty traumatic stuff happen and it triggered it in a way that I'd never experienced. Cause I was always very outgoing, super social, like, you know, had no issues. Like it wasn't, it didn't, it didn't present itself in my life in a way that disrupted my life at all. Um, but I started having panic attacks and I like really, really terrifying panic attacks. Um, this is sophomore year of college and I, you know, I didn't know what to do. I am very independent. And I was like, I don't, you know, I, I, I need to figure this out. And I, I remember one day I just went for a run and until then I really hadn't done it except for like, you know, most people who play team sports will say it's like more of like the punishment for their sport. right? (laughs) But I went for a run and it got me out of my head and it also kind of put me back in my body in a way that I felt in control of my body. And if anyone's ever had a panic attack, it feels, it feels like you're dying and you have no control over your body. Like you lose control of your muscles. You just, yeah. And it just, it, it kind of healed that part of me, you know? And, um, at that point I was just kind of running casually and then the next year and, you know, nothing, you know, here and there, whatever, just like for fun. And then the next year, so I was at, um, I went to school in Boston and there was a team that would run the Boston marathon at my college for like charity. And, you know, I don't know what, like, I was running like no, no mileage at that point. And I was like, well, I'll do this. Why not? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, it was kind of cool opportunity. Like you get to run the Boston marathon, um, through the school. You didn't have to like, you don't have to qualify for it. Right. Um, and it was very special to me, something that my parents, um, had run a lot growing up. Um, another part of my upbringing, I guess I didn't mention was like my town and just kind of the culture and the families that we were really good friends with. There was a lot of like famous athletes, like one of my, you know, good family friends is like Joan Benoit Samuelson. And so like, I, you know, I grew up with, you know, she's one of my parents, good friends. And I 
so it just, you know, that was a cult, there was a culture around that and the Boston marathon meant a lot to me. And I was like, let's do this. So I did, I don't even know. I don't even know if I trained, like, I, I remember going on a couple of like a couple of long runs, like, I don't know, but, um, but yeah, I ran it. Uh, I want to say it was like, I can't remember the exact time. It was something around three 30 or something. And, um, very good for like not yeah. training. <laughs> I remember doing, yeah, I remember doing one, like one long run. Like <laughs> they like dropped us off and, um, they dropped us off in Hopkinton. It was cool. They dropped us off. Cause like I went to BC and then you run through the BC camp, like past BC campus, basically. So basically what they had us do is they just, we ran the like basically 21 miles from Hopkinton to back to BC campus. And that's the only time I did a long run, I think. Um, but it was great because you got to do the course, which is cool. Yeah. Because um, everything from there is just gravy. It's like yeah. run run into the fun parts of the, the city. Um, although not, that was not the fun part for me in the actual marathon. <laughs> um, I had my sister like dragging me. Yeah. I was like, I was like, I give up. I cannot. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's a common, st- like, I don't know, maybe it's just uh, for both of us, our common story of our first marathon is it's like, yeah, I'll do one like, 20 mile long run and that's good like I'm fine totally I'm an athlete like I think I'm running like I'm running four (laughs) miles a couple times a week so I should be fine yeah um (laughs) yeah I was literally that person like sliding on my butt down the stairs like to the um to the subway like it was it was bad news stairs but um I did it and (laughs) but even then I didn't like I kind of ebbed and flowed out of running after that. Um, So the thing that got me really, I mean, I think it was towards the end of college. So then ever since my sophomore year, so I guess my anxiety really just like took a back seat. It really wasn't present. And then at the, as we graduated, it came back like full, full fledged. And I think it was because I was just really, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I felt like a lot of people were, you know, moving on to different things. And I think I felt, I don't know, I can't explain it. It, it was, uh, you know, I would, I guess, classify it as like kind of a depression too, which is something that's, I don't tend towards depression at all. I'm a very like optimistic person and anxiety, more like high functioning, like anxiety. And, um, but it was really rough. And I leaned on running in a big way because I think that's what I knew. Like, that's what I knew was my, it was the thing that kind of kept me from being okay. You know, Mimi, we were talking about earlier, like things that serve a purpose at one point in your life. Like this was running kind of, it took over and it became really, um, it happened so, so subtly that I didn't notice it, but it became so unhealthy in the matter of like uh, six months. Um so, I mean, I went home after that. We, I was running a lot. I was running a lot with my, my, with like these, this group of women at home, Joni included. Um, and I was getting super fast and it just, I think I just, it was the thing I needed to feel okay. And it was the thing I needed to feel like I had a purpose and like, oh, maybe I can actually do something with this thing. Like I'm good enough to actually do something with it. Um, and it, it really, um, it was like a tumbleweed, you know, at that point. So I guess that's my like running story in a nutshell to that point. 
what do you mean by like it was like a tumbleweed? I'm interested in this like visual description. Like to so you're getting faster, you realize you can do something with it. When you say you can do something with it, what are you envisioning? Um yeah. Yeah, I I just had never like I mean I got I got so much faster in such a short time because I'd never put time into it before. And so then I was, you know, I, you know, for the first time in my life, I like was doing a a track workout once in a while, or I was doing like a tempo run with these women, these women that just knew what they were doing. I like, like literally I showed up to my first run. I didn't have a watch. I didn't at that point still, like, I still was like very, you know, um, and they were like, they're, you know, so a tumbleweed, um, it consumed me now that I look back, like it, um, you know, I, I started isolating myself from other people, like people that weren't running as much. Like I ended a relationship at that time. Like I was just really in my head. Like I was, um, I was kind of slowly crawling back into myself and I couldn't see it happening. Cause I was like, no, I'm just running. I'm like getting competitive. I'm, you know, doing something that I'm good at. Um, and at that time, you know, this is where my kind of disordered eating comes into play because, and it took me, you guys, I mean, this was 11 years ago and it took me until this past year to name it. Um, it's taken me a really long time because what it, because it was never about food for me and it was never, it was just all about like running consumed me. And I think it was just this big distraction and what we know now from like research studies is, you know, if you dip into a low energy availability state, then you're dipping into this zone of like a starved body, a starved brain, a starved body and a starved brain. So with low energy availability, basically you can just be not eating enough to support the training you're doing or you can be quote unquote, what, what happens a lot of people, a lot of people think they're eating enough, but they're not at all. And they're also exceeding that level of energy intake with how much they're expending energy in, in training. And that was me to a T and I wasn't doing it on purpose. I had no idea. I had no nutrition knowledge, nothing. Like I just kind of kept eating the way I was eating, but my training was going up and up and up and up. And what we know about the like starved brain and the starved body kind of condition is that it, it actually breeds an eating disorder. It breeds an obsession with food. It breeds this really, really kind of isolated, shameful condition of just being so focused on your body, you know? Um, And so that's what happened. That was the tumbleweed, I guess. So it was running and then it, it, it happened so slowly that like, I just never saw it and I never could identify it as like an eating disorder. Cause I was like, what I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, to lose weight. I don't want to lose weight, but I mean, weight was fall. Like when I say weight was falling off of me, it was falling off of me. And, um, and I was confused and I was trying not to be that thin, but I couldn't stop it. And this, at this point in my life, this intersected with, um, being di- diagnosed with celiac disease. And so at the same time, I was having really bad malabsorptive problems um, and I didn't realize it. So that was another thing that was happening. Um, and I mean, it got so, it got so bad and I was in such denial about what was happening because I was just competing and I was running well. And 
at an event, I went to London to do some economics, um, uh, work at LSE and in London, this was maybe a couple months later, I ended up in the hospital for a while. Like, I mean, on my deathbed because I'd gotten so thin and I'd gotten to the point where like, I couldn't, I couldn't walk. Um, and it, yeah. And it all happened in this way that I just, I didn't even recognize what was happening. And it just takes you out of yourself. I mean, at that point, like you can't think straight. So that's the tumbleweed. (laughs) What's interesting is like hearing Mimi talk about like how her eating disorder started and hearing you talk about how like running kind of became this negative thing is like, it starts with like something that like, like society has kind of agreed as positive like losing weight is like healthy Mimi gets positive feedback then it becomes Mm -hmm. out of control like Mm -hmm. you're getting out of college and people are like what are you going to do with your life what are you good at and then you Mm -hmm. start to run you're like maybe I'm good at this people are like Mm -hmm. that's great running is healthy do it and then but then you're like okay so I'm good at this And, and then it becomes this like this thing and you keep getting maybe posit- more and more positive feedback and figuring mm-hmm. out for yourself that it's like not healthy when everyone's telling you like, no, it's good. You look great. You're, you're fast. If you're getting stronger, like no, if it's you're so hard. Yeah. So hard to pull those things apart. It's so hard, Bridget, because at this, this, I think one of the threads, so like I mentioned this earlier, but growing up in my family, like, like really incredible athletes. Like, I don't know what my, I don't know what my dad's marathon time was, but it was pretty insane. And, um, I think it's, I think that it, because I was such a popular kid and a social kid and I had my own stuff going on and I just rejected like being in my, in my, doing my family stuff all the time. But like, there was definitely a piece of me that felt like I didn't belong because I had decided to not do those things. And, you fast forward to where we just left off in my story. And I felt like, I think that in my head, I was like, Oh, like now I belong. Like now I, now I fit in with this family. Now I look like them. Now I, you know, I mean, at that point, like (laughs) my sister's listening. Hello, Emily. I was faster than my sister. Like I was like, you know, like, you know, I, and, and I felt, I was like, Oh my gosh, like this is, you know, every you know this is this is what I never thought you know could happen and here it's happened and so when people started I'm really passionate about this because I think there is a really there is a really fine line you walk when you're trying to help someone that you see going down this path and I did not get I did not get that help and it is no one's fault I don't blame anyone but but people have to be educated on how, on how to, to deal with this. And it is really challenging because you cannot talk about their body. You cannot like, you cannot make comments on their body. Like, Oh, you're getting so thin. Don't say that. Like, um, that triggers it. Um, all the while I was getting faster. So to me, I was getting positive feedback, both from people, but also from my running, like I was getting faster and faster. And this is a story you will hear over and over. And I'm sure you guys have is like, at a certain point, and I talk about this all the time because it is, it is such a hard thing for people to grasp unless they have to, unless they go off that cliff, 
but you get better. You get, you get a little, you get leaner and leaner, you get better and better, but you know what you are heading to literally like, and I know that this is not a video and so people cannot see my hands, but I'm, <laughs> but I'm, you, you fall off a cliff. Eventually you keep climbing this peak and you think you're going to keep going up, but you don't like, because your body can't sustain that. Like it can, it cannot. And no one is the exception. No one is the exception. Like everyone's bones will break every like you cannot be in a state of low energy availability and not like eventually kind of have those negative consequences but it's really hard when you're in it to think that that's going to happen to you you're like no no look at me go <laughs> like right or yeah. like i mean going back to what you said too about like starved body and starved mm-hmm. mind is when you are when you're starving your body, when you're starving your mind, you can't make good decisions. So I don't care mm-hmm. how smart you are, totally. how like whatever. I blacked out for yeah. like I don't remember half of that part of my life. And like you're you're not, <laughs> you know, I I am just sort of like going back there as you're talking about it, which is it's fine. I go back to that period a lot, and I'm thinking about it because that actually helps me never want to go back there. But it's like I think about the person that I was, which is shutting people out, like no pun intended, but like feeding the addiction by not Mm -hmm. feeding myself, Mm -hmm. um, by isolating. And my mind was so starved Mm -hmm. that I I couldn't make a different decision. And to your point, like I did have people that were Mm -hmm. trying to help me because, you know, I had been going through this for 10 years before I, I feel over 10 years before I finally feel like I have gotten to a place in my life where like this just food will always be an issue for me or will always be a challenge but I'm no longer of like I don't I don't necessarily feel like I'm in a place where I would relapse but for 10 years Mm -hmm. I was relapsing in and out of really Mm -hmm. really bad eating disorders and Mm -hmm. but at the same time like so I had all the people that were trying to help me that were trying to talk to me but no one none of them could get through to me because yeah and not to their they weren't Mm-hmm. like I don't blame them right but it's just like they didn't have the tools to be able to reach me and also my brain was so starved my mind was so starved that I didn't have the capacity or the ability to actually listen or hear that's them. right that's right and yeah. I think what what people need to know and why it took me this long to say and it was really emotional for me I, this honestly was this honestly was a few months ago when I sat I was sitting like right here in this room and I was like I had an eating disorder and it it shook me because that's what I work on with clients all day. And I'm like, and I'm like, people need to know this because what I went through doesn't look like what people picture as an eating disorder. Mine was actually more of like, I almost, what I want people to understand is that there is no, I mean, we have the DSM five and we have certain clinical criteria for eating disorders. I was never diagnosed, never. And I, because what I went through was almost more of a, um, a exercise bulimia, like, and that's actually a form of, that is form of bulimia. Like you, you purge through exercise. Um, and that was kind of the cycle that I was in and no one could identify it because, you know, I mean, you could see it, but the patterns weren't there. And, um, I, it's so important because because when we're talking about the starved mind and the starved body, Mimi, like it's you can starve your body through exercise, 
like it's not just it's not about it's not just about food um so I just think you know we have to we have to broaden kind of our definitions of this and broaden the net with which we like catch these people before they fall before they fall off that cliff that I was talking about because it's occurring at like staggering staggering rates and when we're talking about running I mean we're looking at female for in in female female runners we're looking at almost 80 percent who have disordered eating and that means if you're on a run with like a handful of people almost every single woman there is struggling with it and like to me, I, I just like, I'm like shivering right now thinking about this because it is, it's just so upsetting. It makes me angry at society. It makes me, it just it makes me so pissed because of like the cultural conditions that have like put us here. It's like a sports culture, but it's also just kind of diet culture at large. And it's just, it's, um, yeah, I, yeah, it, it's, it's so upsetting, you know? And I just like, I don't want anyone to get to the point that I got to. Um, because I don't, my running career, like I kept, so I, I came back from that. I gained weight. I did it on my own, but I, I never, I never went where I could have gone with it because of that. My body will never be the same ever. Um, never. And I just don't want anyone else. I don't want anyone else to go through that. Like I want to keep as many women in the sport as we possibly can and keep them from going down that road you know yeah it has to start so young because Mm -hmm. like I did you know I coached uh high school cross country and track for a few years and then the pandemic hit uh (laughs) but you know the conversation around like that you can't escape energy deficiency like if you're in that sustained place for very long like it will come back and get you and you know, when girls are going through puberty, like their bodies change. So like they're yeah. one runner freshman, sophomore year, and then most yeah. of them become a different runner. Junior oh, and such a pivotal year. age. Right. And mm-hmm. it's natural. But if like, if they, if all you've done as a coach or all the parents have done or whatever is tell them those first few years, like you're fast, you're good. You're getting like, this is what matters. You're getting the praise when you perform and then their body changes. And now they're not getting the praise. They will fight. Like they're, goal oriented like they're trying to get back to that place and the only and the thing that changed is their body they're very aware of it and so like it starts then and you like I you can just see it and nobody's talking to them about like it's okay and if you haven't when they were performing well at one stage given them the tools to understand that performance and also told them that like my love for you as a coach is not dependent on your performance. My support for you as a coach, your athletic identity is not about your performance. Then you can't have that conversation with them when they're not performing. It's too late. Like you've already conditioned them one way. And so it's like, it, it breaks your heart. And like, I just wish that there was more of a conversation around it, more like mental health tools, more. And it, yeah. and boys, it happens to boys too. It happens to boys to too. Focus yeah, on, totally. on, on women, but it's yeah no I mean it's like I mean because it's such a multi-system effort that has to go into this like it's parents it's coaches it's team culture um and it's the healthcare system too right like and um 
Yeah, Bridget, like what you're talking about, it's it's so it's just a horrible coincidence that the years in which like females are going through this is also when they're like being looked at to be recruited. Like it's and so it just adds this pressure, right? So I mean, you can yeah, you you they know that they're going through puberty, they get their period, they want to fight it off, they want to fight because they know that like their body's going to change, their hormonal state is going to change. And their performance is likely going to change for a few years. Um, And unfortunately, just at that time, they're like, this is when I need to perform. This is when I need to do really well. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, oh, it's, it's such an unfortunate kind of time frame where it happens. Um, But I agree, it has to start so young, so young. How do you think about now your relationship with like with being competitive, with being someone who at one mm. point like loved team sports, your family background? Like, do you have a do you think of yourself as competitive now? Do you have a healthy relationship with competition? Like mm, that's a good question. Um gosh, I feel like I have such unfinished business in a way. Um you know, I did a lot of, I raced, I raced in ways that I'm really proud of, but I went through, um, I have been, I don't know if you would just say bad luck, (laughs) but I have, uh, several different autoimmune diseases and they, in conjunction with me being in like, you know, me being in like low energy availability for, I mean, luckily I was probably only two years or something for me. Um, but it did enough damage. And I also have, so I, I also have, um, this very random, well, just very rare disease. It's called Guillain-Barre. It's a neurological autoimmune disease. Um, so I, was, I had that. So I had kind of a bilateral paralysis at one point where they were like, you're never going to run again. And then I came back from that somehow. And struggled with stress fractures for a really long time. So basically every time I would race and like get back to competition. So I raced on a, a pretty like competitive team when I lived in DC, it was kind of, it was like an elite team, like a, I don't know, a sponsored team. And every time I would get ready to race, I would get injured. <laughs> like I was about to run some like awesome, you know, in my mind, a great time. And then I would get another injury. And so it took until we moved out here to San Francisco for me to actually, for them to actually kind of diagnose what was going on. But I found out I have a pituitary tumor and a disease that prevents me from uh, producing hormones, like inadequate amounts. And that's why I was getting all these stress fractures, because you need estrogen, you need like, it's, it's just really important. So that was about two and a half years ago that I found that out. And at that point, I was like, okay, (laughs) this is my like 20 millionth sign that I need to step back from this. And so I, I just stopped. Like I, I stopped running for a while. I focused on just eating a lot, um, doing other things. And it's been, it's been since then that I've been completely dissociated with competition in any way, like aside from coaching people. And I have to tell you, like, it's been great for me. Um, I am the healthiest I think I've ever been. I am, 
you know, going on, and this is maybe a lot of people listening will be like, that doesn't sound great. But for me, this is great. I'm going on two years without an injury, um, which is huge for me. And I'm just happy. Like, I'm just happy. And I don't worry about it. So when I think about competing, I'm sure it's still it's still in me. I think I um I think I want to, you know, I'd want to revisit the 10k and the 5k cuz I love those races. I think I'm basically I I only do trails at this point. So, I'd like to do a trail race. I think my question with competition is for me is about my durability given what I've been through. Given autoimmune diseases, given my bone history, given my eating disorder history, like what can my body withstand? Um, and that's a big question mark. You know, there's a lot of heartbreak that has happened for me with the like injury cycle of a big buildup. You're about to race. You're about to do something that you think is the best you're ever, you've ever been able to do. And then you get hurt. And I mean, that is, it wrecked me. Like it was like, it was so devastating. And so when I think about competition, I think my mind just goes there and I'm so scared. It's almost like, um, I don't know. It's almost like a curse in my mind. Like if I decide to race, I'm going to get hurt or something. You know what I mean? Um, so I almost, I have to over, and that's something that's, that's a me thing that I'm working on. Like I'm working on that. And the fact that I'm where I am right now with running and stuff, I've done a lot of work on that because there was a time period where I was afraid to run. Like, I was like, I'm just going to, something's going to break. <laughs> um, so I've gotten past that. <laughs> so now it is the competition thing is like a question in my mind because I have a few good years left in me. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell no, yeah. Guys, I think we get better. I'm just going to tell age. myself this. We get better with age. Like We do. We get smarter I'm, too. I'm going to like, you know, my... My best marathoning years are in front of me, not behind me. I'm not totally good. Like, totally. yeah. Uh, and I think that's such yes, a, are, yeah, thanks. I think that's such a healthy perspective of like, it's okay to take a step back from competition and like deeply understand your relationship with it and try to sort that out before you dive back into it. So that like, when you do, you can find more joy in it or you know, not, not have it be so devastating when things, when things go wrong. Yes. For me, it's been about building up all the other areas of my life that I had let go. And I think that's where disorder with exercise or food thrives is when you, I kind of think about it as like you, by the bigger you let those things become in your life, the smaller your world becomes like your world becomes so focused on those things because they've gotten so big and like my vision for myself, but like for everyone out there and especially, I'm just really passionate about women in sports in this issue is like that those things are not central, you know? And, and I just, yeah, I think like the disorder thrives in that, in that scenario where you've put so much importance on those things that you let other things go. Like when we were talking about like Mimi, you were talking about thinking back to those, those days for you. 
And I think back and it's like, yeah, it's isolation is what I think of. Like it's, and, and in that isolation, everything else like falls by the wayside, like things lose importance, right? Like, and you can't, and I tell people this all the time, you can't possibly spend all your time and energy thinking about food and training and, and not, um, you know, not forego all these other things. Like, so, you know, you're, you're spending all of your time and energy on those things. And so the rest of your support system falls away. Um, and so what the last decade has been about for me has been, how do I invest in those areas? Like, how do I create a life in which if I lose one thing, I don't fall apart. And so to me, that's meant, yeah, that's meant not competing because I, I, I think that was a really big piece of the puzzle for me with the, I just put, I push myself really hard, you know? And so to just take away, take that out of the equation entirely and just say, you know, I was thinking about this. Like I, I don't, I don't, am I allowed to swear in this podcast? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't give a shit. I'll say shit. Um, I don't even look at my watch when I run. Like I do not care, you know, like I just, and that's a, I mean, like five years ago, like forget about it. Right. Like, no way would I have done that, but I don't care. I don't care if I regress. I don't care if I am slower. I don't care if I do less one week, one month, one year. Um, and I can get through days without, without it, which I never could have said, like, I, you know, I, I never could have, I never could have, I couldn't have, you know, skipped running for a couple of days years ago. No, no way. Like I would have lost my shit. Um, and that's kind of been to me, the sign that I've allowed other things in my life to flourish and that I've given them, you know, I've invested in them and I've made sure that I've built a solid foundation for myself. That's not dependent on like this one pillar because every time that pillar fell over, I fell over and I was a total mess. Relatable. I mean, I think that like, you know, we've talked about this uh, a little bit with some other people on the podcast too. Like my own experience is that when your world becomes too much about one thing, whether that's running or your job, when that doesn't go exactly as planned or right, or even when something like kind of small happens, it's just, it's earth shattering. And for me personally, you question everything. I question, am I smart enough? Am I good enough? Like, there's so much imposter syndrome that comes in with yeah. it, but the more things that you can find that, that bring you joy, it, it makes it easier when one thing goes wrong because then you can say, okay, work isn't going like, you know, for me a year ago, I, I switched jobs at the beginning of the year and, and it's been great. But a year ago I was just like, work is terrible. I hate my job. Mm -hmm. I'm crying every day. So I'm going to, mm -hmm. I'm going to focus on running. Like I'm just yeah. going to see what I can do. But then, you know, there are times where I'm injured or running isn't going well. And it's like, okay, I can focus more on work. And then when both things are going bad, I tweet, let's start a podcast. And no, just kidding. <laughs> and then I, and, you know, and then I find joy in a running podcast. But it is that sense of like in, diversifying in a way, but also like not shutting out all of the other opportunities in your life yeah. because you feel like you need to go all in on one thing. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think that I would be able to do what I'm doing today if I were still the version of me 
that needed to live in that way. You know, um, I couldn't coach people. I couldn't um, support people with their relationship with food and with their body. And like, um, I would have been too jealous of people to coach them like mm. 10 years ago, if I was you know going through injuries and stuff, like I would have been like, Oh my God, these, these a-holes, they get to run and I don't, you know, <laughs> like, I was that person, you know, if I was injured and I saw someone running, I was like, I want to trip you. Like, yeah like, like i hate you like, yeah, I hate so you. or i'd be like god look at their form they don't deserve to be <laughs> i was like the, I was the worst totally. injury put me injury brought the worst at me um i swear i'm nice um but <laughs> but um but i don't feel that way at all anymore you know um and you're right like it's 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 diversifying yeah and I don't know. Mimi, do you identify as a perfectionist? Yes. Hardcore. Yeah. And I don't think yeah. I recognized it in, until like a few years ago. I mean, I went to an ultra competitive high school where mm-hmm. I didn't get the best grades. And so like compared to everything, everyone else, I was like failing in a way. And it's, mm-hmm. it's only now like after college and in the workplace that I'm like, Oh, no, that was just a crazy environment. And I am just a complete perfectionist and classic, like, type A overachiever to the Mm -hmm. point where it like, it, it, it works against me more than it helps me at this point in my life. It's super interesting, because I I am the opposite. So I always thought I was a perfectionist. And turns out I am not you ask my husband, he'd be like, hell no. (laughs) (laughs) He's so annoying. Like, but you know what's funny is I think that I thought I was because of how laser focused I was on running. Um, that again, when we're talking about that kind of like disordered brain, right? Like it breeds perfectionism. Like that was because it's obsessive, right? Like it, it uh, essentially it's like kind of obsessive is a little compulsive, right? I would have, I would, I definitely like describe my relationship with running back then as very compulsive. Like I almost like was out of control a bit. Like I had to do it. Or I felt like I, or like I was going to, you know, I don't even know what I thought was going to happen, which is the interesting thing looking back. Like, but I just felt like I, I would, I would cease to exist. Um, but I think it's really funny now I realize I'm not a perfectionist now that I've been able to diversify. Like, I don't have that kind of, I don't know, that obsessive quality anymore, I guess. I don't know. It's interesting though. Before, before we hopped on, I was telling Bridget about this project and like, this is, I, I'm making it be like, oh, this other person isn't taking it seriously enough or whatever, but it's really about me, like needing control and having to make it perfect. Yeah. And like, so it's so funny, like the way that it just manifests all the time and how I need to sort of like come back down and be like, no, it's, it's all going to be okay. It's all going to work out. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's, you know, as someone who's had anxiety my whole life, I mean, that I think that's what's like allowed me to live like this um this pandemic has been um (laughs) like it's been a blessing for my health um and I think it's because it's allowed me to slow down and that's what I needed and it's yeah that because because the the anxiety the anxiety kind of fuels the perfectionism the perfectionism makes you much more anxious right and yeah if you can slow down and realize it is it's like it's all going to be okay it's all going to be okay um and it's that it's that mindset that we have to have in everything (laughs) I think we can take ourselves way too seriously 
Totally. I think that's something that like I like that you do, which is like talking seriously, but always kind of being honest and bringing back in like some of the humor, some of the like life's like imperfect moments. I think you do a very good job of that in your Instagram. And I think that's something that like I come back, I have to come back to again and again, which is like, this is all supposed to be fun. Like if we're not having fun with it, like, you know, don't, don't take, don't take yourself so seriously. Don't take the run so seriously. Like don't take what you eat so seriously. Like it's okay. Like just, it's okay. But it's hard. (laughs) I have to like keep coming back to the week for in, in the case of running, we get to do this. We don't have to do this. No one's forcing me to get up at 5 a.m. to get my workout in before I have an eight plus hour day at work. Like I was on the track the other day and it was a really hard workout, but I just, the like one of the things I did to get myself through it was like, I get to do this. I get to be here as the sun is rising, feeling like I'm running as fast as I can, burping up the pizza from last night, not feeling too great about that. <laughs> but like pizza. just feeling like the best version of myself in that moment like what a privilege what a joy and focusing on that rather than like this is so painful this hurts like why aren't I getting faster Um, because it is a privilege to be able to pursue something like this it is and I think if you if if you can stay within yourself in making the decisions around running around yeah around eating like you have to come back, you have to come back to that. Let's like, let's not take this so seriously. I mean, because, you know, you could, yes, there was like this fine line between like, I get to do this. I'm, I'm, you know, have this privilege. I get to go do this run. But then there's also that, like, you don't have to go do that run. Like you can wake up one morning and decide you don't feel good. I mean, that's like, I joke with my, like on the athlete side of my business, like I joke with them that like my favorite message to get is someone saying, Hey, Abby, I I think I'm going to skip the run today. I just, I didn't sleep well. And I'm like, yes, you go girl. Like, because it's like, listen to your body. Don't take it so seriously. Like your training plan is there. Like it's fluid. It's flexible. Like your life changes. You change day to day, minute to minute. It's like, if we, if we try and stick so perfectly to some arbitrary plan like let's be honest it's arbitrary like you're missing you're missing the whole point you know and you can't you I'm a big believer in like you will not get um out of a work like a lot out of a workout that you are not entirely present and happy about doing like even though there's there's moments where it's gonna hurt like if you're doing that out of kind of self-punishment and or out of like perfectionism it's it's not benefiting you you know it's just not yeah I I mean I feel like we get to like there's so much more that I want to talk to you about and we have to have you back on because I want to talk about you know your coaching business and your philosophy and we we got some good questions Q&A so we'll have you back but this has been so fun to just learn more about you but before we I, I can't believe like an hour has already gone by too. I'm just like, oh, there's so much more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Crazy. Actually, okay, I have to get this in because you mentioned her and this makes me so happy that you are your family friends with her. But so going back to Joan Benoit Samuelson, you know, mm-hmm. they say never meet your heroes because you're going to be disappointed. I had the opportunity to meet her randomly at the New York City Marathon in 2018. 
And she could not have been more gracious, more amazing. She gave me her email address. And uh, she just seems like the best person ever. So (laughs) just want to fangirl her for a minute. Oh my God. (laughs) And such a badass. Like, Mm -hmm. I just, I, I mean, I'm in awe of her all the time, like just doing what she's doing. Um, And she's just been such a great advocate for the sport and for women. But just, I mean, talk about durability. I'm like, I don't, I don't have those genes. Like I like something, you got something special to be doing what she's doing, you know? Yeah. She's incredible. I just incredible. Yeah. I just, I get such, sometimes I'll just like watch old YouTube clips of the 1984 um, Olympic marathon. And I just, I get chills. So the, I think the reason she gave me her email address is because I told her this story that (laughs) I was, I was born a few days before the opening ceremonies of the 1984 Olympics in LA. Um, Uh And I was born in LA. My family were from LA. And so when I think about running and the origins of running for me, I'm going to get emotional. It's her. It's her running that marathon. It's her, like, that's all that, that's all I knew in the Olympics. And it's because of her. Yeah. And she was just so like amazing. Anyway, ah, didn't expect to cry over that. Um, <laughs> so when you think about your relationship with running in like the next 20, 30 years, we, you know, we talked about this a little bit in terms of competition, but like, what do you hope for it? That's such a good question because it's not something that I normally reflect on. I think being in this state of like just letting whatever happened happen has kept me away from that. But um, I do feel a little itch lately. Like I feel a little itch to like maybe like I I feel more durable. I keep coming back to this word than I have in a long time. Um and I feel more confident. I'm on like hormone replacement therapy and all this stuff that like, I feel more confident in my body and my bones and everything. So I think, yeah, I mentioned this. I'd love to, you know, I do, I got into the marathon, but I do really love the 5k and the 10k. And I think getting, I don't know, like a sub 17 or something would be, would be amazing. I mean, I like running fast. It's, it's, it's fun. Like I think there's something about it. I like the 5k and I really love the 10k. So maybe PRing in those at some point. Um, but being so into the trails now, I've never, you know, and I, I just love the trail community too. Like I just, I think when everything, when, when the smoke clears, so to speak, I, I do want to sign up for a trail race. Um, and I guess that's, that's personally, but I mean, what I, I'm going to say durability again. Like I want to be running when I'm, when I'm older, like, I don't want to have to let go of it completely. Um, but I also want to embrace the other sports that I love. Like I love cycling and I want to keep diversifying to take Mimi's name, Mimi's word, um, like I am so that I, I can last as long as possible. Um, and then professionally, like I, I mean, that's where I see my impact the most like what I what I end up doing with my own running to me that's just that's just a really small piece of my journey and I've come to terms with the fact that like at one point I thought that would be what I do with my life but now I know that it's actually about helping other people and I mean I I want to I want to keep like I said earlier I want to keep as many women in this sport as possible I want to make sure that we do start targeting kind of that multi-system approach to 
preventing disordered eating in the sport, preventing kind of these, just the horrible spiral of body image and disordered eating that happens. And I want to see those, like, I want to see those women flourish and be able to compete for as long as they can and not harm their bodies. And I think that's, that's what I think about when I think about the future of running is just how we can kind of help the future generation and try and, you know, support them along the way and make sure that we're supporting them when they're young. Like you said, Bridget. Yeah. I think there's so much there. Like I love, I also love the idea of like thinking about how you can help the community through participation. So it's like, it's not about like whether you're finishing first or anything, but I think showing up on the finish uh, on the Mm -hmm. start line with your full story of like, I went through a period where I wasn't durable and now maybe Mm -hmm. I am more durable. I don't really know, but I'm here and I'm going to like cheer you on. And I'm going to like, I'm going to cheer on everyone from like first to last um, and I'm going to be somewhere, somewhere in there. Like that's also such this, I think just this powerful thing. And you definitely see it with like trail runners, you know, like they yeah. are they're just there to like hang out and like a, totally. a race just happens to occur. And then they're all just like hanging out after, you know, it's just yeah. like such a good, I don't know, athletic vibe. I love that. No, you're so right. Yeah, it is. It's about participation. Um, And it's about, yeah, it's about showing up fully authentically you and telling your story. And yeah, what you just said, like, yeah, it, 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 it it stirs up a lot of emotions in me, like literally showing up at the start line and being like, I do not know what's going to happen, but I'm going to give it a try and I'm going to see. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You don't know. Yeah. I think that's, that's the beauty of the sport. And when you, you know, when you do have like a better sense of self then it's like you can show up and just be like this is fun I don't know what's going to happen today but it doesn't define me and it's okay whatever yeah you know yeah yeah yes it doesn't define me yeah um okay let's end with some fun rapid fire questions are you ready oh my god I feel like I'm horrible at this okay sure sure okay favorite (laughs) place for a run or a hike in the bay area oh god don't we live in the best place ever? Um, well, I think, I mean, I love the headlands and I'm going to, I'm, I'm the worst. I literally am the worst of these questions. I'm going to give like five answers. Um, the headlands, but then also, um, I mean, we live between like right between the Presidio and Golden Gate. And I, I just love the little trails in both of those. So I'd have to say those just cause like, that's what the, that's what I would do kind of a day, like on a, you know, any day kind of run. Yeah. Okay. When was the last time that you laughed really, really hard? Last night with my dogs and my husband. For sure. <laughs> it's always, it's always the dogs. Like yeah. one of our dogs was, we feed them with Kongs now. There's like things that like let the food leak out slowly. And our little one was like, she was literally army crawling underneath our, like I was, I was ugly <laughs> laughing. Like it was amazing. So yeah, daily with my dogs. Yeah. The dogs they're so, they're just pure joy they're so pure good. joy i know yeah. um okay if you could go on a long run or like bike ride with anyone who would it be Ooh, probably the women that i ran with back in maine my friends aaron and carrie and joni yeah nice yeah uh in your experience as a coach what's one of the most common like misunderstandings that runners have when it comes to nutrition and performance, like what do you find yourself Ooh. saying over and over again to 
let's just say particularly runners. Oh God, there's so many. Um, the first, but I have to admit the first thing that came to mind when you said nutrition and runners is carbs. Like mm-hmm. just, I mean, overall it's eating more. Like I've never met a runner who was eating too much, quote unquote, too much. Um, but carbs. Yeah. Just the massive misunderstanding that there is like society at large it's unfortunately trickled down to athletes and specifically runners who need them more than anyone. Um, So I'd have to say, eat your carbs, eat them all the time. Don't worry about when. Yeah. Yeah. Any cake cake is fine. Yeah. It's great. (laughs) Like we said in the beginning, cake is cake. It's just glucose and carbs. (laughs) Do it. Um, Okay. Uh, Top five most loved items from Trader Joe's. Ooh, these are good questions. Oh my god. Um, oh my god. I think I know one. I know one of yours. Uh, now I'm just not gonna. Now I'm not gonna say it because I'm gonna forget. Um, you'll have to tell me what it is if I don't say it. Chicken Um, nuggets. Oh my god. Yes, those chicken nuggets. If you have, if you're listening and you haven't had them, they are a godsend. Yeah, you're right. That is frozen chicken nuggets. Have you tried them? They're so good. They're so good. They're amazing. Um, You definitely inspired me because I was like, I can make like a chicken nugget rice bowl. Hell yeah. (laughs) Totally. Chicken. Yeah. It's, oh, thank you for reminding me of that. Those, I need those in my life. Um, We always have them in the freezer, but I forget. My freezer is like a a black hole. Um, (laughs) Jungle. Little black hole. Okay. So the chicken nuggets, um, I love their like their peanut butter cups. So I get like their, I'm a milk chocolate person. Just, you know, judge me, but I am. Um, just give me all the sugar. So the milk chocolate peanut butter cups. Um, okay, this is weird, but my, okay. So my husband's obsessed with seltzer, obsessed. Like the man puts down like a case of seltzer a day. And actually there's a blueberry lemonade seltzer there that we're, we really love. Um, so I have to put that on there. We always get that. Um, Oh gosh. Um they have their ruffle potato chips that I always always get. Yep. Just the classic ruffle potato chips. Have I is that four? Four. So you have one more. Okay. Oh my god, fifth. This is so stressful for me. I feel like there's so many things and I'm just forgetting them. Um it's gotta be another oh, they have these um they have these oh they're I always get their um gluten-free because uh, I have celiac, they're uh, Tate's gluten-free chocolate chips, which I love, chocolate chip cookies, which I love. Nice. So good. Yeah. yeah. One thing I that guess. you do with some of your clients that I love, maybe you're not doing it right now because of pandemic, is like go grocery shopping with them. Yeah. Which I, oh, it's, I think it's, so it's such a good idea because like you just get so overwhelmed and also yeah. you get stuck in ruts, you know, where you're just like kind of getting the same things over and over again, even though you're kind of like not inspired or craving any of them. Mm-hmm. And just someone being like, oh, it's this and this. And it's really easy. It's like three ingredients. Just try it. And you're like, oh yeah. Okay. Oh my God. That's one of my favorite activities to do. It's fun. (laughs) I have so much fun in the grocery store. Yeah. I could bring that back. We could do a pandemic grocery shopping trip. (laughs) Put the masks on, stay six feet apart. Right. Do that. Yeah. Literally wait in the lines. The lines are so bad in San Francisco. Um, That is one of my favorite activities. Yeah. Um, Okay. Last final, most important question. Burger burrito or pizza burger burrito or pizza yeah pick what is this question (laughs) (laughs) oh my god it totally depends on my it totally depends on my mood okay this is literally if you if you ever watch my instagram like this is like all we eat so it's like all three of these things Uh, yeah 
Okay. I have, okay. I'm going to have, okay. This is a really tough call, but I'm going to have to say burger because we, oh, I know, <laughs> but here's the deal. We make, we've, we've started making burgers on bagels and it's like, it's life-changing. So we do this combination where it's bagel. <laughs> this is so extra. Everyone's going to be like, what is happening? Bagel, cream cheese, burger with melted cheese on it, pesto, and a little ketchup. Um, it's a lot, like in terms of just flavor, but it's, I don't know. It sounds like it's too much, but it's not. It's, it's like the perfect combination of things. So, okay, burger. I'm going to say burger. I love, I, you've gotten me actually more into like adding cream cheese to things. Like now I do like the cream cheese and egg. On, yes. On, it Isn't it is amazing? So good. Yes. Okay. So and I have to credit York. Jeff to it. It's like the only thing he's like one of his only, you know, uh, you know, attributes, but oh, naturally, yeah. um, yeah. he introduced me to, so he does, <laughs> he does bagel with cream cheese and bacon. And when he first did it, I was like, that's so strange. And then I was like, why is that strange? Like we do like smoked salmon and cream cheese, same thing. It's like a, like a salty cured meat. Right. Um, and that just like inspired me. I was like, there, this is, I was like, this is endless. We can do this with fried eggs. I just put it on sandwiches now, like turkey and oh, it's amazing. Yeah. No, highly recommend. So I've been doing the cream cheese mixed with Trader Joe's. Like they have like an Italian hot sauce it's called like bomba hot sauce so you make like a spicy cream cheese and like that wow. with like savory stuff is really good i'm gonna write that down bomba yeah i'll send it's you a picture you said it's an italian it's okay like, they say okay. Like, like italian Col- calabrian i'm gonna mispronounce this like calabrian okay. pepper or something anyways very very good okay, okay. well that's it burger so now you you can't eat burrito or pizza you picked <laughs> <laughs> we had pizza last night we burrito for lunch yesterday. Yeah, no, this is this is a really hard question. I think you guys, you guys need to, yeah, new question, please. It's just <laughs> it's fun because it's hard. I know it's, it's fun true. It's so um, well, this has been so fun. We've got to have Aww. you back on because you did such a good job talking about on your Instagram, like um, you know, Red S and and all those athlete triads, both men and women, and I think you know there's just tons of interest in that conversation plus we didn't even get into like what you do as a coach and you're awesome but we'll put all links in the in the uh, show notes and um we'll have you back on for more more fun conversations awesome i will come back anytime you guys are the best <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this episode with abby atwood you can find Abby on Instagram at Abby Atwood Wellness. It's A-B-B-I-E-A-T-T-W-O-O-D Wellness. You can find her on Twitter at Abby underscore Atwood. And you can check out her website, abbyatwoodwellness.com. As always, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Runners of the Bay. Send us an email, runnersofthebay at gmail.com. Check out our website, runnersofthebay.com. We're so grateful for you. Uh, we're so happy that you're enjoying the podcast. We love getting feedback on reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We've gotten some really lovely DMs on Instagram. Your input and your suggestions are always valued. And with that, we hope you have a great week and we will talk to you real soon. Yeah.